Hello and welcome to Propnex, the property podcast focusing on issues that impact the future of the real estate industry. I'm your host, Gavin Morgan, and in addition to looking forward to today's and future conversations, if you'd like to know a little bit more about me, please look on www.propnex.com. That's www.propnx.com. Or if you'd like to chat privately, drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com on email. Delighted today to have Jordan Kostelek on the show. Jordan and I, long-term friends and colleagues. Jordan is currently the PropTech Director uh, for Asia Pacific at JLL. Jordan, welcome onto the show. Uh, long-time listener, happy to be involved in the conversation this time, Gavin. It's, it's been great so far, so I hope I can add to already great conversations you've had on PropNext. Yeah, I have no doubt, Jordan, no doubt. And uh, I mean, on this topic as well, keeping the real in real estate. Um, I mean, a good, like where to kick off for that. But uh, I mean, I'm dying to get into the metaverse with you. I mean, you've told me before anything but new, but you know, if you look back at the sort of history, you've talked about looking back with me at the history of consumer internet and how that's evolved and you know, sometimes, so even the best technology, as you put it, tastemakers um, get things wrong uh, when predicting the future. Um, just talk, talk, talk to us a little bit about that statement, please. Sure. So uh, those, those who do know me know that I'm a, sort of an unabashed nerd. And I've been playing video games as, since I was eight years old, right? And for many of us who have been avid gamers um, to the point that even in college I actually flirted for a while with a game design career and it turns out I'm very bad at mathematics without a spreadsheet <laughs> so it wasn't really the thing for me but um, any of us who've been involved in video games for a long time current conversation around the metaverse feels a lot like our uh, like my parents trying to explain to right like they, it's something they're not really from the talk um, yeah. and, it, and it's a lot of, I think you hear a lot of that when you start to look for some of the language that's going on or it's happening around the metaverse, uh, you hear a lot of very seasoned, we'll say professionals talking about what the younger generation wants. And anytime a conversation starts like that, it's kind of doomed to fail. Mm. I say this as someone who is about, I'm turning 40 next month. And I'm considered an elder millennial. Ancient, Jordan, ancient. <laughs> I know. Yes, dying. But I'm, the, I'm sort of the, on the older fringe of the millennial generation. And for the past 15 years, I've read articles from people 20 years my senior talking about what millennials want. And I've probably read a thousand of them, and I don't think I've ever read one. Right. Mm. And I think that's kind of clear. We're getting echoes of that. And current conversation. Right. What I would say is that it's not... Anybody who categorically dismisses the whole idea of the metaverse is like dismissing the internet 20 years ago. But what I do believe is it just won't come in the form that's being presented to us now. Interesting. Um, and the way I know that is I actually sold my first foray into real estate was in 1990. And I sold a plot of land with my best friend in a video game called Ultima Online. Now, Ultima Online is essentially... Dungeons and Dragons, all connected by the internet. People could 
you could buy houses in the video game world and people sold them for actual money. So in the summer of 1999, uh, my friend and I played a lot of this game. We've earned a lot of gold in the in-game economy. And eventually we were able to uh, sell a house for 850 US dollars in US money. So this was an actual digital asset. There was hmm. no mechanisms at the time. You put it on eBay and you did it all in the honor system. There wasn't really a lot of security, but we were able to sell this and had a nice little uh, small college fund to split when we finished that summer. Mm. And and that, you know, that just kind of goes to show that like this has actually been going on a lot. Yeah. And it, the interesting thing about that, built-in land scarcity in the game that was unintentional just because the actual game realm was only big. They weren't designing the land to be scarce, but because unlike the world that we live in, shelter or housing wasn't so necessary in that realm. You don't need it to survive in the game. It really wasn't as important as an asset as it might have seemed to be. But that, like I said, this really shows this has been going on a lot longer for a recent pattern. Okay. Okay. So I want to just, uh, Jordan, I want to gr- grab you back because you said a really interesting thing to me and uh, almost partly because I just want to use the uh, the expression, but uh, you talk about video games uh, in previous conversations that you and I have had as the primordial soup of technological advancement. I mean, that is a terrific statement. What do you? Now, I've, I've all, but joke, joking aside, um, in addition to your wonderful wordsmithing there, um, I've actually spoken to a lot of other people, and um, yeah, I guess some people as well who I maybe wouldn't have expected to make that statement about video games. How are video games um, informing the future, particularly for business? Uh, what do we need to be looking for there? Well, I think first thing that you have to look at. So that quote comes from John Hankey is the CEO of Niantic. Now, most people don't know the name Niantic, but everyone knows their most famous product, and that is Pokemon Go. Oh, right. Um, right. And so, arguably, while many of people have been talking about the metaverse, John Hankey has been building it with his team for 20 years, and that culmination of that has ended up being Pokemon Go. But that term really encompasses a lot of things. So, in the world of computing... Uh, there's a a law or really sort of a rule of thumb about computing power that's called Moore's Law. And what it was was Gordon Moore, who was one of the founders of Intel, sort of predicted that computing power, computing processing power, would double every 18 to 24 months. And that was this sort of linear trajectory of how much computing would advance over time. And about 10 years ago, people thought that Moore's Law had hit a wall, that we had sort of reached the physical limitations of processing power for CPUs. But where we started to pick up processing power was in graphical processing units. And graphical processing units and the demand that was placed on those comes from people wanting better and better video game graphics rendered in real time. And so that then translated back to computing. The demand for great video game graphics actually where there's tons of demand now for the processing power is in the mining of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. It was hmm. the same, that yeah. same intensity of processing power being applied back to much more analog, not analog processes, but 
not they're not being applied to graphic generation. It's just much complex computing. So from a hardware perspective, that's one way it's driven, but also just consumer habits. Some of the best, uh, like actually everyone remembers Super Mario Brothers, uh, the, the original Nintendo one. And most people never had to read the instruction manual for Super yeah. Mario Brothers because it had basically, everyone did the same thing. And I know your audience is seeing this in their head as I describe it. You started with Mario and you start running to the left and you run into the first enemy and you die. And that teaches you, oh, I better jump, right? So the next time you run and jump, but you hit your head on a block and then you hit the enemy and you die. And it's this short little cycles of failure that allowed us to learn intuitively without instruction. That's what video games are driving technology, teaching us, allowing for experimentation and failure with lower stakes to help us figure out what a great user experience can and should be. Yeah, when using a different medium, as you're saying, with it, maybe at certain points some people haven't been that comfortable with, and... Yeah, I mean, I think that that's really interesting. Thank you, Jordan. Um, right, again, taking you back to something else, and probably a horrible question, but uh, really interested in what you've got to say about the metaverse. What do you think? How do you think the metaverse is going to be realized uh, beyond? Uh, we all know what everyone's saying about it at the moment, and the, the sort of immersive experience that people are saying that it will be, and how we trade, and all of that kind of stuff. Um what do you think will be, I mean, what do you think will make it stick and how will it work in your mind? Uh, I th- biggest thing we can all acknowledge is people trying to craft this is that we're not going to be able to predict that. So you mentioned earlier about uh, that I've said to you before that the, even the tastemakers of the tech world get it wrong. When Apple really, everyone's talking about the metaverse right now having this iPhone moment. But when Apple normalized smartphone technology, it didn't mm. invent it, it normalized it. When yeah. they released it, their advertisement said, it's an internet device, it's an iPod, and it's a phone all in one. Now, we still call it a phone, but and I, for the people listening, I'm waving my phone at, on the camera to Gavin, but call it a phone, but phone is like the ninth most used app on my device. I use WhatsApp, I use uh, messaging, I use Signal. There's a lot of apps for texting that rank above phone because we don't use it as a voice communicator as much as we use it as a text communicator. So a more appropriate term might be 21st century telegraph, right? But it's called a phone because Apple thought phone, being able to call on your iPod was a flagship feature. And what Apple learned in that was kind of to sit back, to start to drip out hardware functionality, sit back and watch how the world uses it, and then let that sort of take it in a direction. So where that evolved, like the Apple Watch, right? They thought the Apple Watch was going to be a way to support at-a-glance notifications. But really what the Apple Watch became, because what the users wanted, was a fitness device. And so the reason I mention all of this is we shouldn't think of where the metaverse is going or where we're going to go with the metaverse as a destination, but a direction, because this is sort of our own intergalactic ship taking us through time and space. And so we need to just think about the metaverse as what does it need to be doing for us? Um, Mm. And I think a lot of the examples we see right now, they don't, 
they don't really create new or interesting outcomes. They're just sort of experiments with yes. the new capability of technology. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm super curious about that space and, um, think that I can get my head around, you know, how people might use it, but I agree with you. These things often take a different direction to the ones that we're anticipating uh, when we see them at the outstate. And, um, so you also, uh, you've argued as well that virtual real estate isn't real estate and, um, and that you've also indicated to me, you've told me before that you think sort of fully immersive digital realms risk diminishing the value of real assets. I mean, that's, a, again, a really interesting statement. And uh, what do you mean by that? Well, so you and I both work in the real estate industry. And mm. well, far be, it, far be it from me as an American to give the world an English lesson, but virtual and real are literally diametrically opposed terms in our language. Mm. When we couple them together, it's, it's immediately absurd. But that's not, like, as I say your listeners can think, oh, that's a semantic difference, but it really isn't. Um, it's not a semantic difference. We call it real estate because part of what makes it important is how we shape it in the way that we need it. So uh, I know no one can see it, but like the, the office I'm talking to you from right now is very much a product pandemic. I didn't need an office at home for that, but then I when I moved yeah. into the same for us all, I think. <laughs> but when I moved houses, this became part of the vibe where I live. And then the design of the space, knowing that this was going to be how I work. So that's one important part. We need to remember that yeah. you know, from yeah. the title of our conversation. Real estate is real. It's tactile. It's visceral. So... When you put a headset on, and I always joke around, like, my biggest fear with VR is, like, when I'm around my friends that they're going to punch me in the stomach while I've got the headset on and I can't see them. But <laughs> we're removed We're removed from our environment. So it actually takes a lot, of the, a lot of the effort, a lot of what makes physical surrounding, especially the, visit, the visual. Mm. Uh, you and I were lucky enough to be uh, collaborators in the design of the JLL Hong Kong office. Yeah. And there's so many tiny little touches in there that were so deliberate to create a specific environment. And if everybody started going into that office and wearing headsets, the only thing that's going to matter is the air comp and the seat comfort. It takes away from all of those little things mm. that has made it special. And yeah. you don't think, and, and I agree that, a virtual environment will ever quite replicate that. I mean, there'll never be anything quite, it's a little bit like the difference. And I think, I think one of the great things that we've seen in the last two years, Jordan, that points to what you're saying is, you know, people in dispatches saying, oh, that video conferencing and meeting by Zoom, et cetera, completely, it can replace face-to-face meetings, but it can't. I mean, it can, in, I mean, in some narrow channels it can, but broadly speaking, uh, face-to-face and direct human contact matters so much moving forward probably with a slightly different mix of virtual uh, and visual virtual, but um, it never probably never be exactly as it was before, but there's a future blend that has been informed by what we've been forced into in the last two or three years. And I, I actually agree. I think metaverse, we're thinking about the metaverse. I can see how that plays out usefully uh, with a similar nature, or just the same nature of relationship as the one that we just talked about. Um, so that being said, and 
again, I'm just nailing you on lots of comments that you made to me before. And <laughs> so it slightly contradicts what we're going to talk about next, which is good. Um, best experiences of the next 10 years, the 10 best will be powered by augmented reality. Um, please tell me what you mean by that statement. And uh, which, uh, well, I'll come on to real estate in a second. Just start with an answer to that one. Yeah. So uh, another quote I'll borrow from John Hanke. So obviously I'm a fanboy. I don't play Pokemon Go, but um, I, I did for a while because I'd like to experience these things. And I would, I would say to everyone listening, even if I've convinced you what I believe, Metaverse is a bit of a stalled concept as it is. It's still worthwhile to get your... I'm not saying stay away. I'm saying really decide. If, like Before we start advocating for these figure out if it's something you're actually going to use. I used Pokemon Go for a while. It's not really my thing, but uh, I'm using something that is very clearly influenced by Pokemon Go as an app. It's a, it's a true, what I believe a true metaverse app called Step N. And what Step N does is you buy an NFT sneaker and right now they're way too expensive, but you buy this sneaker and then the app and the in-game economy pays you in their game tokens to walk but you have to do it outside and i walk a lot anyway but like this has actually sort of this has made me get excited about walking and part of it's that double dopamine hit of i get paid and i feel good that i got more exercise <laughs> um, right. and yeah. it's going to be let's hope, like let's hope all of your listeners agree with that <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know but it is it's things like that where uh, like again, Pokemon Go, uh, I, you see a lot of elderly people playing it, right? It's actually dominated by elderly people, people who don't have a nostalgic connection to Pokemon as a yeah. sort of character or game franchise. They are enjoying the gamification of getting outside. And gamification is really the key. Do we create? Our world is already augmented. You and I know this better than most as Westerners in Asia. When I go to Japan, were it not for Google Translate and Google Maps, I'd be screwed, right? Like, I don't read Japanese. I don't know my way around. I don't speak mm. the language. These tools allow us to navigate our world more freely than we ever had before. And now as we start to actually take and put the digital layer between us and the physical world, you're going to be able to create some really visceral and fun experiences and yeah. we're starting to see this, uh, I think, coming back to our industry of real estate. Uh, right now, we're you've starting taken, to see You've this. taken my next question off the tip uh, of my tongue, Jordan, but keep sure. going. <laughs> yeah, so within real estate, one of, the more, one of the bigger challenges of the last three to five years has been retail. Now, Hong Kong has been, gotten particularly drugged when it comes to retail, but it's a global issue. It's not even a phenomenon at this point. And what it is, is people are looking for more than just, damn it, like just a show. People are looking for experiences. We shop for experiences. And malls weren't necessarily designed for that. So we have to retrofit them. And so the way that we retrofit them is you can take digital navigation, right? Wayfinding from your device and guide people to new experiences. So when I use the example of Pokemon Go, it was really... It's because I admire the work they've done so far, but I can see how this would be repurposed. So imagine I've walked into a mall and I'm profiled and it says, you know, 
I'm probably looking rough that day. So it says 45 years old male. And it says then the app would actually say, hey, there's a special at this sporting goods store. Now, that's cool for me as a consumer, but it's more important for who the landlord's constituency is, and that is their tenants. Now there's data to reinforce that they got 50% of all of the males in their demographics to walk right up to the doorstep of their shop. And that's a real, like these kind of data insights that happen because the new intermediary is these digital experiences, the two-way data that can be captured and interpreted shape new experiences, what we call nudge theory in the world of uh, workplace strategy, pushing people to do something that they didn't come into, they didn't intend to do. It's not malicious. It's not manipulative. It's giving them, it's making them aware in situ and then distracting us in, in, in powerful ways. That's what I think is going to be really cool. And that's, I think the next generation of real estate is how do we shape or do small nudges to people's behavior in physical environments with digital mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, and that's probably, um, I can see the logic in that. And, you know, over a period of time where you have a significant number of small but major, you know, small but um, impactful changes where you can, we'll, we'll look back five years down the line and think, wow. And, and, you know, look at what's changed. And I think we're very much in that world now where things are changing in real estate a lot faster than they have done historically. And I mean, I kind of ball it up in my own head is each five-year leap we make going forward now probably covers similar ground to what we did in about 30 years um, previously. So, Jordan, we're going to probably bring things to a conclusion now. But I mean, I just... One last question from me. So th- this is all uh, the, the metaverse, you know, the influence of gaming and behavior, technology and real estate. Um, it's hugely exciting and it has made the industry a much more uh, exciting place to work in. Um, what's your big prediction uh, or what's, what's the big next thing that you think is going to have an impact in real estate, uh, either a prediction or an impact point? Um, leave us with, with something to chew on there, please. So the, the biggest impact that can be had in real estate, and I hope is had, is that still too much of the process of management, what I would call the least sexy parts of the real estate industry, uh, have the opportunity to be the most powerful sources of data. And so what Amazon got really right, I actually worked, uh, what most people don't know, because this was sort of the first phase of my career was, I worked for Gap, Old Navy, and BananaRepublic.com for the first 10 years of my career. And we sort of didn't know it at the time because we were already this big retail giant, but we were surfing in the wake of Amazon because Amazon was staying in this sort of unsexy realm of books. And they figured out how basically they observed how consumers interacted with online shops as opposed to offline shops. And then they started to create new patterns and new behaviors based on their user interfaces that siphoned data. And that became what Web 2.0 is, right? Web 2.0 is Amazon, it's Google, but it's actually using data to help inform what's next. There is, if data is the new oil, then the property and facilities management industry is this massive oil well that we haven't tapped because 
we only like all the processes of inspection and maintenance and all of these things right now, they're done as acts of compliance. But if we think of them and recontextualize them as potential data that could be generated, uh, the world is our oyster. It's, it's going to be yeah. incredible what we learn about how built environments work. But more importantly, as the, the topic of sustainability reaches critical mass, how we can use buildings more effectively than we ever have and lessen the need for new assets and enhance the capabilities of existing assets. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, I couldn't agree more. I think the um, the, the uh, opportunity for technology to uh, increase scale, drive efficiency, and then, of course, obviously have a massive increase on predictability and productivity is still massive. I mean, we're at the beginning of that journey, not near the end of it. And in so many other places as well. I mean, I agree, it's not just in property and asset management. There's big, big transactions, uh, implications, as we've talked about in some previous podcasts too. But um, very interesting. And Jordan, it just leaves it for me now to just thank you so much uh, for spending the time with us on the the show today. It's been a really interesting conversation around some uh, incredibly topical topics. And uh, uh, thank you again for joining us on the show. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and it's been an absolute pleasure to work and learn from you over the past few years. So thanks. Thanks for that, Kevin. Well, and you too. Thanks, Jordan. And um, that is Jordan Kostelik, the Asia Pacific Property Director at JLL. Speaking to us today, Jordan, thanks again. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. So that's a wrap. And it just leaves it for me to thank you very much for tuning in and listening to our conversation. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you'd like any information uh, or you want to have a chat, uh, drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnext.com, G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnext.com. Or there's more information, as I said earlier, too, on www.propnext.com. That's www.propnext.com. I look forward to speaking with you in future pod, and thank you again.